on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. What, what can you give us that we can go implement into our business that's worked for you? It's hands down the best thing that I've done, the best decision I've made is, is really... You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. All right. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got Paul Moss here on the King stage. My brother, Paul, how we doing? Hello. Happy Monday, right? Yes. Yes. Here we are. Other people hate Mondays. I, I don't mind, though. You know, I have found, whether it's Monday or just in the morning each, each day, that I... I'm excited whether it's Monday or just another day, as long as my dream's big enough. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's like Christmas. Like just, I can't wait to wake up again to get at it. And I think that we can lose sight of that as, as entrepreneurs, but I want to talk about your business here today and your story. Paul, tell us what kind of business that you have. I've got a few. My primary business has been in auto insurance and we're looking to revolutionize that space. We crave, we've literally created a product that that makes it very simple for the consumer, not only to get through, but also to understand what product they're buying. Love. I'm also working on a weight loss, that's a different type of weight loss, and, and also working in health insurance. Wow. Somewhat connected there. If you kind of did them in the order that you did, you got insurance and then, and then health and then health insurance, kind of bringing it all together, but kind of different industries, different buildings of, of, of industry. And so I definitely want to get into that, some of your story there. Before we do, what's the burning desire inside of Paul Moss? Why are you really doing all this? So, so mine, mine is very simple. Everyone says to do things for yourself. I'm good. I, there's two things. I work a lot with impoverished youth in Cleveland, Ohio, and I want to have a platform where they can get jobs. I can facilitate, they can learn, they can see it's tangible. Yeah. So that's one, uh, that's one, that's one driving passion. The other one is I work a lot with villages in Africa. They have a, they have a 38 year lifespan and they believe that education is the key to success. And so I found ways that we can enhance the education in these villages that don't otherwise get resources. And, and so for me, you know, at this point, those are my two driving passions from a, you know, monetary perspective. Yeah. Obviously, I won't always be a good example for my daughter. It's very straightforward and simple. And then my one guilty pleasure, the only thing really that I spend money on is travel. And so, you know, trying to put these, put these travel bills. So I, I want to, when I hire, quote unquote, which means basically yeah. Juliet turns 18 and, and flies in the nest and I'm not, you know, in, in captive in one place, I really, I really want to be remote at six to nine months a year. So that's, that's pretty cool. It have just on that note, I mean, I'm a, I haven't traveled a ton, but I do enjoy to travel. What's the top place that you've been to that you would continue to go back to 
I really like going to different places, but these villages in Africa really have my heart. Okay. And you go to these places and, and you, you realize they've got no money, but they're genuinely happy. Right. It's good. And, and then we look at our society, right? We look at what we're doing and, and we have everyone stressed out, anxious, right? And yet people have resources, people eat, right? People have shelter. And so one of the things I've been trying to solve for as I go back and forth is trying to figure out why do they have calmness and peace of mind? And even though they don't have anything, right? They literally live in houses made out of food, literally, right? So, so anyway, so that, that is my, that is my happy place. Puts you, puts you in a little bit of a mind conundrum, especially like you said, if, if you, you know, the contrasting worlds, of course, would you encourage the listeners if they haven't been to a place of the world like that to go and just experience the, what you're talking about? I think, I think it's a life incomplete if you don't, candidly, you can do it for less money than you think. I mean, flights right now are pretty obscene, but other than that, once you get there, you can do it for reasonable, but here, here's the thing. So my daughter's 10, she's been to 50 countries, she's been to 40 states. So she's traveled, she's well-traveled. In the United States, you don't get, you don't, you don't truly see poverty. You don't see kids on the streets. You don't see kids working. You know, you go to India, you see three-year-olds literally running the family business on a corner, right? Uh, And so, and so as a parent, when you're trying to teach your children lessons about that there, you know, there are poverty stricken people that when, when, you know, historically there's an empty threat, like, you know, you know, you're lucky that you get to eat, right? When you're, when the person you're trying to teach has actually seen it, it's far more impactful. And when you get to see it for yourself, you also realize how lucky you are. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to discount hard work. We do work hard. In fact, I think in a, you know, in a lot of respects, we work harder than, you know, a lot of places. But uh, we are lucky. We are lucky when you look at a lot of the world's circumstances. Yeah. I remember being in high school and my youth group that I was a part of, we would go to Juarez, Mexico, every summer to build a home. And this was obviously before Juarez is what it is today. But same exact thing. I'm, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old as a, as a young man. And we drive all the way from the Midwest down there and experience the border crossing and then go into Juarez. And the homes that we're building are on a dump site, like what we would consider a dump site. And they've put together makeshift homes with cardboard and probably all the things that you've mentioned. And so it's like when you can not only visually see that, but then like imagine yourself being there. Physically, we were there for multiple days, a week, 10 days at a time to, to build a home. And then you do experience children or families that have joy or the gratefulness for what it is that you're doing there for them because it just totally changes their world that changes you it marks you so when you come back and i no longer had to shower out of a bucket if we had that luxury that day those simple things even as a young man i look back and i'm like i i i simply am grateful each day for working working eyes and working legs and the fact that i had running water and i could use the restroom and then come out of that room and use water in another room like <laughs> It, it just changes your perspective. So I, I appreciate you saying that. What do you think is underneath all of this for your daughter? I mean, I'm just huge on legacy. I'm trying to teach my kids and my grandkids and I want to partner with them in business and stuff. But 
like underneath all this, you have a 10 year old, I've got a nine year old little girl. What are you, what are you really hoping for, for her in all these, these experiences? So here's the thing a lot. I mean, and, and I don't, I never want to criticize everybody because they're, you know, it's their truth. It's their reality. But oftentimes we try to, you know, I think, I think there's a number of people who try to live vicariously for their children or have their children, you know, perform at an expectation that's their, the parent's expectation, not the child's expectation. Sure. And yeah. so effectively, my goal is not to is not to steer her in any direction. My goal is to give her a broad enough array of of inputs so that she has the skills to navigate life the way that she wants to and and that she has the ability to make a tangible impact professionally or philanthropically if she chooses to. But it's her life. So ultimately, she could decide to, you know, be a, be an employee at McDonald's and be an artist. And that would be great too. Right. I just feel my job is to give her the tools to be able to do whatever it is she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love and that. figure that out. Yeah, of course. And I mean, and what a, what a phenomenal opportunity being an entrepreneur has allowed you to give to her, not only the freedom to travel, but then obviously the, the income and wealth. All right. Well, let's get, let's get into some nitty gritty here. I want to know of a good decision, Paul, you made in business. Obviously you're in different industries. We've got lots of different industries listening. What, what can you give us that we can go implement into our business that's worked for you? It's hands down. The best thing that I've done, the best decision I've made is, is really forcing myself to self-actualize and recognizing what skill sets I truly have and which ones I think I have. Ooh, uh, right. Because as an yeah. entrepreneur, sometimes we're in positions where, in fact, often yeah. we're in positions where we have to spin all the plates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But as you're able to start accumulating, you know, people around you, your, your, you have to shore your weaknesses, right. With that team yeah. and make sure that they have complementary skill sets to yours so that you truly can you truly can shore all those weaknesses so that as you bring up your organization you can can bring it up evenly yeah. otherwise otherwise your culture and your organization will be defunct in some areas and that culture that you establish early is really hard to change later yeah. and so and so that's you know that's a big one the other thing is you know i i look at it you know, you want to hire smarter and this is cliche, right? The part of this cliche is you want to hire smarter, better, et cetera. You want to hire people with drive, which isn't always easy to find anymore. You really, and, and, and with you, with YouTube and other places, teaching people how to interview, you really have to be careful because you can get, I got duped like 14 straight times and I had, and I realized, okay, I got to calibrate the world's changed. Yep. But as you're bringing on these people around you and then your job as CEO, because, because if you bring on somebody really intelligent and you teach them your business, right? All of a sudden you've raised the threat, right? You've raised, you've literally homegrown the thing that can knock you out. Kind of like, you know, Musk building artificial intelligence, right? So, so what you have to do is you have to make your workplace one that people want to show up for and be creative for and one that they don't want to leave. So honestly, that's my primary job as CEO is to attract the talent and retain the talent and make yeah. it, make, make it an interesting workplace. Yeah. I, I love that you gave two dynamics here, of course, of you know, you knowing yourself, that gives you the idea to build a team. And then of course, providing a culture to not only attracts the team, but, but keeps the team. I want to go back to your first point, because I think that the way that you said it was just pretty unique, very similar to some of my beliefs about knowing yourself first, mastering self, and then being able to modify or even build a team specifically around that. 
And then, of course, we have to do the same thing for our leaders as well. We have to help them build a team around them, just like, you know, what we're talking about. So going back to that self-awareness that you that you is there a certain process that you have of, of getting to know yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, something that you can share with the listener? The key is watching downstream data points. OK, okay? Explain. so it's. So an example is, as I was going through, you know, my, my the, the first company, I realized that people like I would, I would strike fear in people or I would overwhelm them. Right. And so I realized the first thing that I needed is somebody who could speak my language, but translate it to my team. <laughs> sure. Right. And then yes. once I was able to get somebody who could translate, all of a sudden it wasn't daunting anymore. People were able to, I was able to titrate the information you know, through this, through the interstitial person in a way that was digestible and actionable. Sure. And so that was, that was one example, but it was watching the data points of not getting what I wanted. Right. Right. And then instead of, and, and, and the easiest thing to do is like, damn it, why can't they figure this out? Why can't right. they do this? Right. But exactly. that's where you need the mirror. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that mirror is not easy. That's right. But it's necessary. Yeah, it's being honest with yourself. And and I think ego gets in the way. Obviously, it's our business. It's our way, you know, and it's pretty easy just to say that they can't keep up. What I heard you say is that entrepreneurs are often really intense, not only just in, in the way that they think. Obviously, you're the one willing to take all the risk, but even just in the way that we operate, the way that we communicate, the way that the pace that we that we operate at, the fact that we've got 19, 19 or 900 things going on all at the same time, like you said. And then this one individual that we're talking to, and we're just like, you know, and they're just yeah you know, on overload. And yeah. so you're right. Not only that in between, what, it, what would you say to the guy listening right now who, who can't put somebody in between yet? Maybe the finances aren't there. The resources aren't there. Would you say to, to squeeze and do that? Or would you say there's ways to modify yourself until you can get the revenue? Like, what would you say to the, to the little guy listening right now? Well, here's the thing. It's that passion and that authenticity that attracts other people too. That's right. right? And so you can't lose. So, so that's, that's, you can't lose that. Right. So, so one of the things that you can do and it's difficult, right. You actually have to work on it. I mean, one of the things that I had to work on was EQ, right. I had to train myself emotional intelligence, right. I literally, I literally took the book and I literally like trained myself on it. In this instance, one of the things that we do, and again, I don't like to speak for other people, but sometimes it's, it's difficult. But one of the things that we do is we give, we, you know, we'll give a directive and then we'll move on. Right. Yep. There are things that, things that should be associated with that. If you don't have an ability to put somebody in the middle. So for example, have that person repeat back to you what they heard. Okay. And I know that's, again, this is not, this is not something you haven't heard before, but, but they're not doing it. Right. You don't have that mechanism, put somebody in between and also have a tangible have a tangible, quantifiable, deliverable with a deliverable date, yeah. write it down and make sure that you follow up on, yeah. right? And so those are two ways that you can make sure that, you know, your intensity, because you don't want to lose you, right? Right. But like, the hardest thing that we do, like, uh, again, like, then there we go speaking for other people, but the hardest thing that I, that, that, that I did is I kept on trying to tailor myself to other people. Right. And at some point, and at some point, like I got to a space, you know, several years in where I realized I, by, by conforming all these things that I was and, and me, I built kind of a prison for myself and it was no, and it was no longer fun. Right? Right. right. And so, and, and, and the genius of me, right. And the genius that like creates the business, well, all of a sudden it gets muted. 
That's right. Right. And these are like, this is the balance. And this is, these are the hardest things about, you know, about being an entrepreneur and the things that you don't hear, you know, you don't hear on Shark Tank or, you know, hey, I'm raising a series A or B or angel round, you know, like you don't hear any of this stuff. And this is, and this is, this is the stuff that you have to work through. And this is what turns, right? The average business, average business lasts less than five years, right? That's right. It's this middling phase. Yeah. That people don't account for. Everybody accounts for the product. Everybody accounts for the funding, right? But it's this transition and this learning and this the middling that's the difference between, uh, you know, less than five year and a greater than five. Yeah. Well, I just have to continue your plug there. That you know, you're they don't hear it on Shark Tank, but they heard it on Gathering the Kings with Paul Moss. You know, <laughs> I do appreciate the setup there. But in, in all seriousness, you're right. There, there's a there's a, a level of understanding that we must have. That was your first point. You have to get to know yourself in a deep way so that you know how to be able to modify or land the information accordingly. However, there's a caveat to that, which Paul just just did a, such a great job, is that you can't lose yourself. Which, you know, especially in today's politically correct environment, it's super easy to change yourself for someone else in a lot of different areas. And then, and then you're not you anymore. So thank you for giving that to us. It's interesting, though, the concept that you had mentioned as far as like, hey, what did you hear from me? That's, that's something super easy that, that entrepreneurs can do at a high level that are super intense and saying 17 things at once for them to be able to repeat back the one or two things, come into an agreement on the measurable, set a date and, and move forward. So I think it's super, super tangible. Hope that they're paying attention taking notes. What about a bad decision, Paul? What did you do that uh, you wouldn't ever want to do again? <laughs> you learned so, that lesson and you can share it with us. So I, I, I went to work for a company for a very brief amount of time between, you know, big job at insurance.com and starting this company. And, and I went to, I went to my, my boss and I said, look, I'm working one hour a day for you. I was doing my job but I'm not fulfilled. You know, I need to work. I need to work 16 hours a day, not one. Right. And so I said, what I'd like to do is I'd like to switch my employment contract into a consulting contract. I'll continue to do my job for you. Right. You'll get me at a discount. You'll get the same job at a discount and, and we can accomplish all your goals. And then I can also my goals. So that's how I, you know, that's how I flipped the organization. Right. Or that's how I flipped into an entrepreneur. And he said to me, Two things you, he's like, he's like, I appreciate that, Paul. You know, thanks for not leaving me in the lurch. There's two things that you need to do. You need to make sure that you, you pay legal and you need to make sure that you pay accounting from the get. Don't like, those are two things. Don't shirk on those expenses. Well, you know, as a, as a, I don't know that I was ever hot-headed, but, but, but as maybe like, maybe as somebody who thought like, ah, I'll figure it out. And as somebody who had no money. To invest in legal and uh, and and That's accounting, right. I I absolutely did not take his advice, and I will say, you know, that was not shoring those things from the beginning. Right, were my this my biggest expenses later on from a tangible, quantifiable dollar perspective. I mean, I spent you know I spent near eight figures cleaning up the legal around those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that the listener just heard what you said. You spent eight figures, not, not made eight figures, not did eight figures in revenue, but you spent eight figures on cleaning. I think that it's those little things that we, we know. You knew it was right when, he, when, you, when he, he said it to you. When you heard it, you knew. But then that other voice was like, where are you going to get the money? You don't have it. You'll worry about that later, right? And I think that you're right. We do that as entrepreneurs a lot. What in that moment does the listener need to do, big or small? Because this is, a, this is not a 
<laughs> early business thing. This is just like when you're in business, you know that something comes across your desk and you're like, hmm, I should do that. What should they be saying to themselves instead of, I'll do it later? Like, what's what's your formula now? Look, these are things, I mean, I go into every business, no matter what, like bootstrapping, right? I just think that it sets the right culture. It makes it lean. And sure. you make, you make, I think you, I like the decisions I make when it's a bootstrapped organization versus like a business that doesn't have to get creative and has all the fun. Right. And so, and so this, what I love about this is if you don't have the funds, like this is, this is your differentiation and this will end up being your differentiation down the road. Because when, when, as you figure out how to be lean, as you figure out that also makes you nimble, right? Mm -hmm. This is when the market pivots. Your competitors won't be able to hang because you've raised the culture and you started a culture that's gotten ahead of the curve. And so you'll, your organization culturally will be more creative than the rest. You'll be ready to move. You'll be, you'll be fleet footed. Whereas most of these other organizations and, and, and a lot of organizations that bring these dollars, they have to spend them, right? So they, yeah. they, they invest in space. They invest in high profile employees. They invest in, you know, these plants, right? They, and all of a sudden, when, when times get tight, they don't have the leeway to make moves. Whereas if you can pay attention to it, if you don't have the money, don't just say, I don't have the money, figure it out. And it's right. that creativity of figuring it out or, or empower somebody else to figure it out. Hey, I really need, like the organization really needs to figure out legal, but we really don't have this, you know, we really don't have the resources. And so maybe, you know, at this point in time, people probably have more of a cheat code with chat GPT, right? But, uh, but, but it's that creativity that can empower people, make people feel invested, right? right. And then ultimately set you up for a far better culture moving forward. Yeah, I love that. I, I actually read the other day that it's, the desire for more, or in this case, the desire for the next thing that maybe you, you, you can't achieve yet because of resource or you've achieved something, but now you want the next goal. And some people look at that as, you know, like uh, never being you know satisfied and not being, you know, not being able to be content and all these things. But it actually, what it does, what you just said is that it forces your brain to go into a creative space to be able to get the next thing, the next goal, figure out legal when you can't afford it, you know, whatever that box is, you can't actually figure it out unless first the desire is to go do it. And you don't know how. So it forces your brain into a creative space, which I just love that. Let me follow up if you don't mind. Yeah, I read something a couple of years ago that really stuck with me. And it's a, it's a test, it's a litmus test that I give myself every year that I get older. Okay. You, you take a brick and a five-year-old can come up with 60 different things to do with one brick, right? That's a good exercise. That's, you, give a, you, give a, you give a 40-year-old a brick. And that person can, can figure out one thing to do with the brick, right? And so what it tells me is that there, there are other ways, right? right? There are other things that can, there's other ways it can get done. We just, it's just this complacency or it's something that we shut down over time that, that as an entrepreneur, I think you just have to expand. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any adult that's going to think I can use the brick to stand in the pantry and get the cookies. <laughs> I don't know any better. I'm just thinking of my three-year-old son right now and what he would use the brick for. That's what led me to that creative thought. There. Yeah. You know, but, you, but, but to your point, I think that that's just an incredible exercise for the listener. If you haven't done this, this exercise of just sitting down and just 
writing out what what are the possibilities that you can use a brick for. It, it's actually pretty profound. Thanks for sharing that with us. I want to go to the speed round here, Paul. My first question is around KPIs. I like to say it like this. If you could only pick one thing to track forever and ever, what would that one thing be? I mean, and I, and I don't know this always like quantifiable or tangible, but it's, it's the pro productivity per minute worked. Okay. So, and that's not an easy one to, to figure out, but look, you, the reality is the, the work-life balance is becoming bigger and bigger, right? And you, your people are going to be forced if they don't already give their employees that grace, that's going to be necessary, but you need, you need your output. And the other thing that the other thing that comes with that is, you know, we've gone to four day work weeks. The other thing that comes with that is, is, is this, this, this disruption society, right? So people get texts all the time. People get IMs all the time. Right. Right. But if you're in a space, it takes you 28 minutes to get back to that train of thought or into the fluidity of that train of thought, right? It's if a big you deal. get disrupted, yet people are getting disrupted all day, right? Yeah. How do you yeah. get deeper into that creativity space? And so the other thing is, as and the reason that it's a measurement, you need, like, like you can do way more in a four-day work week than a five-day work week if you want to, but you have to have that time captive to working, right? That's right. And so you yep. have to create blocks un uninterrupted. And so that would be yeah. the, the KPI that, that I would be the most interested in further exploring. And that would be the most indicative of, of what's, what our results are. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of productivity, I guess, hacks, really. It's not, they're not even really hacks. It's just stay focused. <laughs> but I think that what you, what, what you just said, even, even to myself as a, an entrepreneur of multiple businesses and lots of employees. And it's like, I still find myself, me, I know what you just said. I've taught what you just said. And I find myself going, okay, wow. I just did three things in the last 60 seconds and I, I'm just pinging back and forth constantly. So how, how does one overcome that? A little bit of, is it an attention thing that our society, our phones, social media, like all that's kind of trained us to do? How do we get rid of it? It has to be intentional. It, it just it, like you're like you said a few seconds ago, you know, the hack is focused, but it, but it has to be intentional. You, yeah. our society no longer sets up for you to focus on one thing. It, it, it focuses to pull you in every direction and it's genius, right? That's how people get to fortune 100 companies, right? And that's how it works, but they're set up to work their agenda against you. And the thing that I always, the thing like my, the thing that I will always say is just because it's somebody else's priority, that doesn't make it your priority. That's right. Right. So if somebody's texting you at that time, right. Or I aming you, okay, that's their priority, their priority at that moment. But why do we feel like we have to reply within seconds because we may be somewhere else, but yep. we feel this obligation Right. Yeah. And there's even a pressure. Hey, are they mad at me now? Like, why aren't they replying? Right. Well, yep. you need to, you need to, you need to take your priorities. You need to own them and you need to abide by them. That's right. That's right. And not care what, what Correct. others think or. <laughs> Correct. And it's not easy. We're not set up for that anymore, but, but nobody else has your goals. Nobody else is trying to do what you're doing. Right. And yep. so, so it's just something to be highly conscientious of. And what you'll find is amazing. I mean, as CEOs, right. 
as CEOs, one day, you know, what they're literally one minute have to have a very present conversation about somebody whose parent just got cancer, right? right? The next minute, literally, the next minute, we'll have somebody, we're talking to somebody about not cheating. I mean, they're, they're, they're like cheating or they're being dishonest, right? And you literally have to be able to, to step through it. The next minute, you could be making a decision on funding, on overhead, on employing somebody, on shutting down a division, on, and you're going through these decisions, right? Yeah. Rapidly. So, so, you know, nobody else is, nobody else is there. Nobody else is doing what you're doing and understands what you have to do and where your mind has to go, how fast it has to go in order to make this stuff work. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's a silo that's created because of that. I want to ask you about that here in a second. The, the, the ability that we have to dial in or even be able to help our people dial in, like you said. I think there's this ability that we're going to have to have as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, to be able to produce a culture, four-day work week, remote, whatever the, the, the solution is for your organization. Some of, the, some of those, some of the organizations listening, neither one of those things that you and I both do, mostly remote or four-day work weeks for me and for you, they don't work for that. Like, okay, I have portfolio companies we'll, okay, within a remodeling company or in a like, you just like, sorry, we got to go to the job site and do the remodel. Like, that's just not how it works. However, being aware of those things or like what you call the work-life balance, I think is important. It is funny though, because I want to transition using this because I've dubbed the phrase work-life obsession for the entrepreneur. And, and so I've just been using it. That's what I mean by dubbed. I haven't done anything. I do on the website, actually, work-life obsession. I, I did buy that the other day. I've been <laughs> saying it enough where I'm like, I should probably buy this. But here's what I mean. As an entrepreneur, it's, I, I find the balance, quote unquote, very difficult because there there is no real line. And to me, the the definition of balance is taking one to give to the other. And that's just not how it works for us. For me, I, I really do feel like it's a, it's a combination. It's an obsession of your daughter and the businesses or whatever it looks like. So for you, my question is, how have you done that? How have you gone after all of it in a burning desire obsession way, like you did inside your business, but also with your daughter at the same time? So when I had a child and I contemplated it, one, I knew the world was going to hell in a handbasket and I didn't know that I wanted to expose another human being to that. Two, I wanted to make sure that I was going to be the best parent that I could possibly be. Yeah. And so, and so I don't commit to anything that I can't immerse myself into and give it and give it what it needs. And so, yeah, good. so I made a conscious decision to be a parent. I had my child at 36 and at that point in time, I had enough patience to, to deal with the things that are required to be a parent, the patience that's required to be a parent. The other thing is I learned enough about being a CEO that I could also manage the organization at the time. I could also manage the organization and set the organization up that it didn't need me every second of every day, right? And it still needed me, but it didn't need the intensity. You know, before I had my daughter, it was 16 day work week, six days a week, right? right. Yeah. And, and, and once I, and, and I traveled all the time, right yeah. now, I haven't been away from my daughter for more than one night because of travel. Right? right. And yeah, does that mean like, you know, a red eye from, you know, Cleveland, New York or whatever? Yeah, it does. Right. But, but I wasn't going to sacrifice being a parent for my business. Yeah. Well, I love what you just said there, that, that red eye example. I think that that's, it's just an incredible confirmation of this work-life obsession that an entrepreneur must have. You didn't want to give up the meeting or the reason for travel, but you weren't going to give up 
being there for your daughter either. And so there is no balance in that scenario. It's both. I'm going to go, I'm going to freaking execute the meeting and we're going to freaking win. And I'm going to be back for dinner. Yeah. You know, and I was talking to a guy in, in our mastermind group, Gathering the Kings, for seven, eight figures. But literally just yesterday, we were both on flights and uh, he's traveling. I got delayed. He got delayed. We're going in two different directions. And he's like, man, this stuff makes me just want to drive sometimes. I'm like, forget that. I'm trying to buy a plane. I got the King, <laughs> the King Air, whatever, whatever identified. Like, I'm not trying to drive. <laughs> the point is, is that we both want to control. So that we could still, we, we, so we could do both, right? That's, that's really what it's about. And so I just love that example. You'd be willing to give up this extra little bit of sleep or in whatever, because they're both important. I think that's just an incredible example of exactly what I mean. You want to add anything to that? No, the only thing I want to add is like, if you look this side of the view, it's the, it's the private, that's the private airport. Uh-huh. And I watch, and then, and it's, you know, I watch these planes come in and out all day. <laughs> And yeah, it can provide some motivation. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a pilot in our group and then there's like three or four guys, you know, that are just a little bit crazy enough to where we're like, you know, Hey, it's actually a really, let's just go in together on this thing, you know? So maybe, maybe uh, we'll have a a separate conversation after the recording here, Paul. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I want to ask you about intentionally networking or masterminding. You talked earlier about making decisions or kind of doing things in a, in a rapid pace, which eventually what you said is that there's no one else around you like that. It, it, it creates a silo for the business or for the entrepreneur. I mean, the CEO, we know this to be true. So I, when guys like you and I even get on a podcast, it's like, man, we could just flow because it's like, man, I don't really get to talk about stuff like this with my team or my spouse or my kids, you know? So right. what have you done around networking or maybe even mastermind groups that has helped you or what value have you gotten from other entrepreneurs? So, so first of all, I did it wrong most of, most of, most of the time, I really put myself on an island and I, yeah, it, it was real. lonely, right? Yeah, it's real. It's, yeah, it's lonely. I was solving my own problems, not, not collaborating with anyone. I ended up joining a CEO group later on down the road and that CEO group, you know, in your group, you're, there's not allowed to have anyone in your own industry. So it's literally, you know, I was, I was sitting here and, you know, I'm a, I'm an online platform guy and, you know, and I was, and I was talking with people that are doing metal stampings, right? Right. right. Uh, and trust, right? Completely yep. separate industries. But I realized that we all had the same problems That's in this right. group. And, and, you know, what was, what was my stressful, you know, anxiety ridden month is somebody else's like Tuesday, 10 o'clock, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Like, okay, yep. why am I'm sitting here bringing on so much burden trying to solve these problems that that's other right. people have solved a million times? I'm reinventing a wheel. That's yeah. that's that's moronic, right? Yeah. And so when you start to talk to people, you realize that all of these things that you're stressing out about are literally they're they're literally somebody else's ballyway. Yep. So so quit, quit over stressing about it, quit overthinking it, right? Go, go educate yourself on how to solve for that problem and then, and then make a decision and execute and move on. Yeah. Right. I love it. I love it. You said, you said one key thing there that I think that some people still miss. Maybe they're even part of a group right now and they go to the group specifically looking for an answer, which is fine. That's okay. When people join Gathering the Kings, I'm all, I always ask them, you know, you're going to spend time, money, effort, right? Like, what do you want in exchange for that? I got to make sure I can deliver it. Otherwise there's no sense in you joining. But sometimes the, the, 
the back and forth, the value isn't necessarily a specific answer or a specific key like here you go, this solves your problem. Although that happens plenty of times and I'm sure it, I'm sure it did for you as well. What you just said though was I got into a room of people that thought differently and that by itself, just the energy of someone else having my big problem as their little problem, it, it changed my perspective. So when I went back to the table of thinking how to solve this problem, I didn't get the solution from the guy. I just got a different perspective. And so when I sat down to actually solve the problem, what you said was, then I was able to think about it differently. I was able to research and find the right answer. I didn't get the answer from the group. I'm not saying that you shouldn't expect answers or advice or whatever from a mastermind group, but what you're looking for is think. I want to throw up a solution. I want, I want to throw up a situation. I want Paul to dissect it. And I want to just watch Paul. I don't even really need Paul's answer. Paul's answer, okay, fine. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's for me. Maybe it's not. I don't know. As an entrepreneur, I need to figure that out. But I want to throw something up here in front of Paul. And I'm going to like, I want to watch him look at it. I want to watch him turn it around. Which angle does he look at it? How does he turn it upside down? How many times does he look at it? Is he taking notes? Like, who, what? What moves are you making? That, that's what I'm really wanting. Would you want to add anything to that? One is we aggrandize our problems, okay? We make them 10 times bigger than they really are. And, we, and, and what happens when we aggrandize is that we add complication that's right. to it. Unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. And one of the things that I do, so, so look, personal life included, okay? And this, is, this actually could help a lot, a couple, a lot of people. It, it really helped me. When we're making decisions, we are... We are, we are clouding and polluting that decision with so much emotion, right? So much personal bias, so much emotion. And so what I started to do is I started to figure out ways that I could bifurcate or silo out the emotion from the problem. And when you start to do that, then you're actually solving for the problem. And so one of the things that I do is I pretend like I'm watching myself in a movie, yeah. right? And I'm yeah. like, what would I be yelling at the screen? Because usually... The answer is crystal clear, right? Yeah. And and we've 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 complicated it to this point. So yeah. so that's that's my that's my secret mm. uh, on how I can how I can declutter. The other yeah. thing, and this is this is again this trans this translates to personal life as well. People solve for symptoms ninety percent of the time, if not ninety five percent of the time. Go. Force yourself to get to the diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. Actually, sure. like, and and it's one of those things. Like, okay, you could solve a runny nose by getting a tissue. You could solve it by getting allergy medicine. You could solve it by getting cold medicine. You could solve a runny nose by cutting off your head, right? But if you have pneumonia and you took allergy medicine, right, you got a problem. Yeah. And we do this all day long. We yeah. chase down these symptoms, and it's so exhausting. Because you're you're solving five things instead of the one culprit. Yeah, it's good. It's good. That is probably one of the most impactful things that the listeners probably heard all day today, probably that they're going to hear all week. That's just such a hard thing to do, though. Anything that you could think about, like, okay, listener just heard you. Tomorrow, they're going to schedule some, some think time, and they're going to sit down with a notepad and a pen, and, okay, I'm going to do this thing Paul told me about and try to find the actual root. What, what am I doing to find the root? Yeah, so so one of, there are a couple of things. I told you I had to teach myself emotional intelligence, right? To me, so, it was just simple. Why the fuck can't you see this, right? Seriously. It made no, like, like it's so, it's so transparent, right? Yep. 
the, uh, the, the thing, the other thing that came naturally to me, but that I found that I really needed to work with others on is critically thinking. And so, and so this is something that you truly, if you don't have it intrinsically, if you're not naturally wired to critically think, this is something that you actually need to pick up a book yep. or a podcast or whatever your medium may be. And you need to, you need to figure out how to critically think and work through it. And there are scientific ways to do it. Again, you're not on an island, but if you don't do it naturally, if you are capricious, if you are, I hate this word, if you're, if you're a slave to the whim, if you're a slave to the ebbs and flows, you got to stop. And if you don't know how to stop, you just go educate yourself. Critically That's thinking, true. it needs to be pervasive yeah. throughout an organization. And, and, and this is something that I, I've candidly failed at for a long time that, that I'm making sure that doesn't move forward. You, when your organization is critically thinking and they know that they're in a safe space, sounds like a silly word to a lot of old school people, but it's a real word, right? right. Psychological yep. safety is yep. a big word, right? Yep. People and pe you, you need your, you need your people to have psychological safety to speak because you need to have substantive conflict because if you can't, if you can't, if you go through your critical thinking cycles and they're going through the critical thinking cycles and no one's afraid to talk, people are, are, are willing to share, yep. then you can get to the right answer, right? Right. It's very difficult to get it if everybody's silent and scared. Yeah. Yeah, a super practical thing that just happened to one of the folks that is in one of my businesses just this past week. He was being controlled by his phone and he took a phone call that he shouldn't have. And I'm like, bro, why did you take that phone call? He's like, well, I answered my phone. I'm like, but why? Why? Just a simple task of answering any call that comes through. No. First off, I own my calendar, just like we were talking about earlier. I will determine when I take a phone call and who I take a phone call from. But he's in a position in the business where he wanted to make sure he didn't miss a vendor or miss a, a sale or like in, and, but had not thought about, okay, well, the people that I should be talking to, I should just save in my phone. And so that way, when people that maybe I should take, maybe I should, I don't know. I'm not saying that I shouldn't, but maybe not right now. I get to determine. And I was trying to just show him in the moment is that he didn't have a choice. He was literally a slave to the call. And so he felt as if he was impelled or uh, he had to answer Every single time, period, because it was it, like he was going to miss something. And it's like, bro, you are a slave. And, and so the determining factor and the, the, the critical thinking in that is, well, what, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Well, you're trying to take good care of vendors. You're trying to take good care of, you know, maybe some clients. You're trying to have a good experience. Okay, so fine. Like, let's look at how, how the experience is. Like, when are you meeting with those people and what are you communicating with them and how are they reaching out to you? Are they saved in your phone? The next one, like the vendors, like, we can do the same thing. Let's just backtrack a couple more steps and actually solve the problem of you running around all over the place because this is not going to work, right? So this is something so simple that I'm sure many listeners are, are, are still struggling with. I was at a conference six months ago. This guy has 200-something employees. He was on stage with five other very large business owners, and he, he said something about his phone, and he showed it. And he was like, I've gotten 30 text messages from, from being here on stage. And I used it later when I spoke in a, in a breakout room. I'm like, that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> that guy shouldn't be receiving 30 text messages in the 45 minutes that he was up on stage. Like he needs, he needs a few more people in place or he needs some different systems. Like dudes just getting 
crumbled in his mind, you know? And so anyway, we're kind of getting off, off topic here a little bit, but it, it stems from your critical thinking. So anything that you want to add there before I move on? Just real fast. So I removed the email apps from my phone and I turned off notifications so that I don't get the dings and I don't see, I, you know, I was, I was, I was with somebody yesterday whose inbox was 137,000 messages. And I'm like, in what universe can you even deal with that? Right. And then if you think of an email box as 137 and you think of the notifications that ding every single time that email comes, right? Yep. How much is that? And then what is the psychological response to that, that ding? Oh, I, we know what it is as a human being. It's, I have to reply, think about the pain and that you're putting yourself through and the pressure you're putting your body through right. by, by those behaviors. So, so, so I made conscious decisions to say, this is my email time, right? This is my, this is my phone time. This is, and so that, and when you talk about the balance work-life obsession, when you talk about that, like, like that's the only way that you're going to get it. Yeah. Yeah, you got to own it and control it from the top down. You, I, I want to ask you a question about a resource or a book. You kind of mentioned earlier that there's different mediums of, of, I guess, resources. What would you suggest as far as a favorite book, a favorite podcast, something that the listener can take away and, and uh, go study? For me, for me, my, my, my Bible is How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's great. Look, here's the thing about business books, right? Business books have like 90% of business books, 95, maybe 99 have four paragraphs of unique content. Literally, you could boil it, but they're not going to sell a book on four paragraphs, right? That's an nope. article. Yep. So then they have to, you know, they have to inflate it, right? It's literally inflating. The book is, you know, the book is inflating it. The thing that I love about how to win friends and influence people is that literally it is chalk, is chalk full of value. Yeah. It's value per word is, is, is throughout the book. And it's, and it's great. Warren Buffett's, Warren Buffett's book is a biography I, I found just fascinating to say, because it just gives tangible examples of what almost anybody could do, right? Yeah. And achieve. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Phil Knight book as oh, well. Yeah. Sure. And I don't just read them for the stories. I read them for an application. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, and then the other thing is anytime you have a chance to be around success, right? Anytime like you have a chance to watch a billionaire watch, you know, these people who have had the success that you want go like figure, like figure out ways to do it, absorb. And, and, and you, you'll watch how they carry themselves is differently, but they're not different. That's yeah. the thing. Yep. Yeah. So, the success principles. Um, yeah. Those yeah. aren't going to change anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. So I, I loved, I loved how the uh, EQ theme has, has continued for you throughout the show here and, and what, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mention EQ or, or emotional intelligence in when, how to win friends and influence people. But that's like, like you said, it's the Bible of how to, how to understand and then communicate with other humans, which is emotional intelligence. You, you just have to be able to move the needle. And guess what? People are the needle, right? Yeah. Paul, I got one last question here for you, brother. Yeah. If you could whisper in the younger Paul's ear. What would you say? I'm going to abbreviate a story. So I went to Costa Rica two weeks ago and I did an aboga journey. Okay. So aboga is you take ayahuasca, and you put it on steroids, right? 
And I was in the middle, you know, it's a ceremonial place and I'm sitting there and, and uh, the coolest thing about a boga is it forces you to meet yourself. Like literally it like you, you get an inventory of your life, right? And, and, and you're sitting there and you have to face it. And all these things that you hide and suppress and you don't deal with, they come to the surface, right? And so, and so I realized during this one week and here, you know, I'm 46 years old. I realized during this one week, a couple of things. One, I'm okay. I beat myself up a lot. I beat myself up unnecessarily, but like when I was getting an inventory of all these things that I've done and I actually faced it instead of ran from it, I actually was okay with me. And I think, I think a lot of us beat ourselves up and I think potentially we do it unnecessarily. So that was really healthy. The other thing that I realized on night two is I realized that 90 and Mark Twain said it 150 years ago. So, you know, shame on me, but I have manufactured all of my worst thoughts and I've manufactured all of my biggest fears. They're not real, right? Like, yeah. and I'm talking about like as an adult, as a child, they were very real. As an adult, they're not. I've literally created things that didn't exist. I've literally put roadblocks in front of my way that were mirages. And so, and so, you know, those like what I would whisper is just like, I would tell myself sometimes just to shut the F up, get out of my head. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and I, I will tell you this, had I gotten there, you know, at any point in time before this, this journey would have been a little bit more fun yeah. and it can be, we a grant look, anytime you're an entrepreneur, it's not to be it's because you want to be so literally every single one of your problems are voluntary yeah so quit acting like it's critical and must and and i get it like you have employees right you have other people that you have to take care of the, the here's the deal with employees they can leave you at any time they don't have to stick by you okay right. they have they are making a choice to be there yeah your your obligation to them is for every day worked, you have to pay them, right? But other than that, right, you don't have an obligation because they are there voluntarily, right? That's right. And so, and so quit putting stuff on yourself or what I was for me, it's like, is like quit putting this stuff on myself that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because, weird. yeah, like it's like, like I dealt with like gold ore, right? Or iron, iron ore. Forget that. Just deal with the gold. Yeah. Get rid of the war. Yeah. So. Love, love that. Love that message. The listener who's overwhelmed in their head, maybe a little stressed, maybe a little anxious, you know, trying to hit deadlines, maybe, you know, putting the weight of the crown, as we like to call it, on themselves in, in a negative way. Cause the weight's there no matter what. There's, 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 there's a responsibility. But in a negative sense, it's, it's weight. And so what would you say to that person? Who's like that now? You said let it go or to yourself, but what practically can they do that you wish you would have done back then? I was literally talking to my friend who owns a jewelry company on Saturday. And and you know, the the pressures of the he's a genius artist, right? He's genius. The business stuff isn't as easy for him, right? right. But he's but he's but he's this he's this amazing artist. And, you know, he's stressing a little bit about the business and, and there's anxiety there. And I literally said, well, well, one, 
if you just want to do the art, right? You can go work for another company and you could be a designer. You could sell your designs to other people. There are ways to just that. Two, go get another job, right? And make and every night design your jewelry as a hobby, right? But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you got to figure out ways to manage it, yep. right? Otherwise, yep. it's going to consume you. But the thing I was trying to call out for him is, look, you are volunteering to be an entrepreneur, right? I tell people, look, if you love baking cakes, you may not want to start a cake baking business, okay? Because it's going to be about everything but baking cakes, That's right. okay? It's not necessarily about your passion. It can be great to have that passion. That can also like ruin, like a business can also ruin your passion, but it is a business, right? You are there to make money, to do those things. If, if you don't love it, if you can't figure out how to manage you, if you can't be tolerable to those around you who love you, right? Make it a hobby. That's okay. But if you're going to be in business, like, like be in business, figure out how to be a business owner. Yeah. (laughs) Figure it out. Well, hopefully they've taken some of your advice here from today. They're trying to, they're trying to do that, become a business owner. Cause you're right. It's, it's not about the widget. It's never about the widget. That's why a guy like you and I can get together and completely, you know, different industries all together and have an incredible conversation around business, around teams, around ideas, because that's how, that's the widget of business. So I, I've just so appreciated all the things that you've shared. Paul, how can the listener find you? So number one, you've got a couple of different maybe products that they can reach out or maybe that they might need. Please tell us about that. And then also, how can they just find you as an entrepreneur? Maybe they maybe they want to connect with you about Africa. Yeah. If you want to connect on Africa, I would love it. We're doing an amazing thing. We are providing whiteboards to, we're providing individual whiteboards to African villages. And it is phenomenal. It's revolutionizing the way that they're allowed, they can teach because they didn't have resources for paper. Right. And so, and so literally like they're teaching these children, they're dictating to the children, the children can't give that feedback. Now with these individual whiteboards, the teachers can get real-time feedback to understand where the kids are at. Sure. And they can help the ones who need, you know, who need it. It is, it is, is blowing my mind. It's so simple. It's so simple, but so critical and literally so so i've i've done i've done all all of it right bathrooms classrooms food right i've don't like you name a donation right i've 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 been there done that the whiteboard one i've never gotten the kind of feedback that i've gotten on the whiteboard it is like uh, teachers will record messages for me crying because they can teach different than they've ever been able to ever before yeah and that's what they feel like they're thinking out of poverty is LinkedIn is, you know, I think I'm Paul S. Moss on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. And I welcome these conversations. I love these conversations. Yeah. Right. Because people have done it for me. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you have something you could teach me, if I'm getting it wrong, please light me up. I don't, I don't mind. I don't have that ego that tells me, I don't have the ego that I had for it. 15 years ago, I started the company when somebody told me, you know, worry about legal and, and, and accounting and I blew them off. Right. I love learning and I would love to hear from you. And, and so, yeah, LinkedIn is the easiest. Paul, that's just incredible. The, the whiteboards, <clears throat> I think that's so, so cool. Even as entrepreneurs, a white, a whiteboard can, can change a lot of things. You can get, you can get some good ideas out and as simple as that is, that can change a business. So I can see how the power of that could in a village. So listeners, we'll put all that in the, in the show notes. Of course, they can connect with you on, on either of those topics, but 
Paul, I just so appreciate you being here, man. Like you just vulnerable, sharing from the heart and also from experience. Just wishing nothing but blessing, man, on, on all the things that you got your hand to in 2023, business and and all the other things too. I just really, really appreciate you being here, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight, and nine-figure business owners, is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business family and communities and here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy so if that relates and and resonates with you and you know that you need people around you sharp qualified other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.